Shalom, shalom. Welcome, welcome, world changers. Tonight, we're going to read the book of Lamentations. As always, we're going to have a great time of fellowship and you know, answering questions in the chat and so on and so forth. I think a lot of the atheists, they are atheists because of the church, because the church does not convey the, the real the real deal. The, the church does not convey the real Jesus. And, and I think that's the biggest problem. A lot of people go around with this lovey-dovey, tree-hugging, hippie kind of Jesus that wouldn't, that wouldn't, you know, get angry about anything, or wouldn't rebuke anybody, or wouldn't call out anybody's sin. But that's not what we read of uh, in the scriptures, for sure. Turning tables, whipping, he is mad, and and he's got a lot of things to be mad about. That's for sure. Yes, that's that's for sure. There's a lot of things going on in the world today. Especially his church, you know, it says the the judgment begins in the house of of God, right? So especially the church, because the church has so misrepresented him, and so been and been so accepting of the things that are abominable to him. Isn't that isn't that true? Okay, so we are going to be reading from the book of Lamentations. Let's just let's just begin here. The Lamentations is uh, t- typically believed uh, to be written by Jeremiah. Yeah, Lamentations is exactly that. It is is a, it is a book of of lament over God's talk about God's anger, God's anger over uh, you know because of the sins of the people. Lament over the destruction of Jerusalem. You know, in the sixth century BC. This book, Lamentations, is part of the Ketuvim. Uh, there are f- three categories of scripture. Uh, there's the Torah, there's the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim. What Christians call the Old Testament is the same books that the Jewish people call the Tanakh. Tanakh is, uh, is a word that's actually made from an acronym, T-N-K. You know, it's not uh, by coincidence or chance that T is on the top or T is first because T stands for Torah, which is first. And under that, we have the Nevi'im. Nevi'im is a Hebrew word that means prophets. Okay. So that would, that would include Jeremiah and Isaiah, Ezekiel, these kind of things. And underneath that would be, would be the Ketuvim. Now, although, um, Lamentations is uh, is attributed to Jeremiah in the Jewish world. The book of Lamentations is included in the Ketuvim. Ketuvim is a Hebrew word that simply means writings or scripture. Okay, scripture. The word the word scripture literally means writings. Okay, a lot of like today we use scripture to mean holy word of God, scripture, but it doesn't always necessarily mean that. It just means something that is written down, actually. I mean, by definition. It's it's very interesting. And just a little crash course for those of you who are new to this kind of thing. The top is the Torah. The Torah is the highest authority amongst all three categories of books, right? So not every book is created equal. We have different books with different levels of authority based upon the author, and the way that it was delivered to the author, the five books of Moses, right? So the, Moses would be the author. And that's the highest authority because of the author being the highest authority amongst all the prophets, according to Numbers chapter 12. But not only, not only that, but the revelation that God gave Moses was public, which is totally different than the revelation that God gave other prophets, like Isaiah or Ezekiel, whereas like a lot of these revelations were very like just private revela- revelations. But the Torah came and like the revelation that God, that God gave through Moses was public and with great power, a public display of power and authority. So that sets the Torah on top. Notice when Yeshua, when Jesus was dis- disputing with the devil, during the so-called temptations of Christ, Jesus always quoted the Torah when he was dealing with the devil. He didn't quote the prophets. He didn't quote the Nevi'im. He didn't quote the Ketuvim. He didn't quote the scriptures, right? I mean, writings. He quoted the Torah. He quoted specifically the book of Deuteronomy at every turn. When the devil came to him, 
with a temptation, he got Deuteronomy. Boom, shot down with Deuteronomy. Devil comes back with another temptation. Boom, shot down with another uh, verse from Deuteronomy. And the third time as well. But when the devil quoted scripture to Jesus, he didn't dare quote the Torah. Right? He didn't dare reach for the highest authority. He didn't even quote the, 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 the second level of authority, lesser authority, which would be the prophets. He didn't even quote from the prophets. He quoted from the Psalms, which, was, which is included in the Ketavim, which is really the bottom of the hierarchy of Scripture. Right? You got the three levels. On top, Torah. Under that, Nevi'im, which is, which is the prophets. And under that, we have the Ketavim. So Torah, prophets, and writings. So it's very important to understand when you're reading from uh, the scriptures, what level of scripture are we dealing with here? So in the Lamentations, it's not the Torah, it's not the top. It's not even, even though it's attributed to Jeremiah, it's not considered to be of the Nevi'im or the prophets. It is from the Ketavim, the same level as, say, the book of Esther, the book of Ruth, you know, the Song of Songs, the Psalms, Ecclesiastes, that level, which is actually the lowest level. So it's very important to understand that as well. So this book, Lamentations, is, is a book of lament uh, because of the destruction of Jerusalem in the 6th century BC. It consists of poems and, and other such writings, commonly believed that Jeremiah actually wrote it. And so this is basically a book of, of mourning, mourning for Number one, sin, but number two, you know, because of because of sin, God's wrath fell upon the people. They have sinned against God, and God responded how he always does with sin, and that is with judgment. And he does so continually, even to this day. Let's begin with the book of Lamentations. Now, notice, before I get going here, notice we see on the it starts out with Aleph, which is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Under under that is Bet which is the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Gimel, okay? This is the Hebrew alphabet. This is very much like Psalms 119, okay? Psalms 119, we have 22 different sections. Each section is attributed to one of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. This is, this is kind of like Aleph is like A, Bet is like B, Gimel is like C, A, B, C, and Dalit is like D, and so on and so forth. Gimel being the third letter as an ABC. The letter Gimel stands for a camel, by the way. Each letter stands for something in, in, uh, in Hebrew. It's very, there's a lot of uh, great depth of meaning in the Hebrew language. Every letter of the Hebrew alphabet or alphabet uh, represents something and has a numeric value as well. Right? So Aleph represents actually an ox, whereas Bet represents a house. Bet, as you know, that's Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. Beth means house. Lehem means bread. Okay. Gimel stands for camel. Stands for a camel. And so this could be where we get our letter C from, although it's kind of strange that it, it, it's from, um, we have Hebrew here, Gimel, which is a G, but yes, it's, it stands for a camel. As you probably realize here, that it's, it's similar to the word camel, gimel, camel. Just a little bit of a, kind of an interesting little factoid. So let's begin. And this is going to go through the entire Hebrew alphabet from Aleph to Tav in the Hebrew alphabet. Tav is the last letter. Aleph, how she sits alone, the city once crowded with people. She who was great among the nations has become like a widow. The princess, the princess among the provinces has been put to forced labor. Bet, she, whips, she weeps bitterly during the night with tears on her cheeks. There is no one to offer her comfort, not one, of, not one from all her lovers. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. Gimel. Judah has gone into exile, following affliction and harsh slavery. She lives among the nations, but finds no, no place to rest. All her pursuers have overtaken her in narrow places. Dalit, 
the roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to the appointed festivals. All her gates are deserted. Her priests groan, her young women grieve, and she herself is bitter. Hey, her adversaries have become her masters. Her enemies are at ease, for the Lord has made her suffer because of her many transgressions. Her children have gone away as captives before the adversary. Wow. Uh, in modern Hebrew, that would be vav. All the splendor has vanished from, the, from daughter Zion. Her leaders are like stags that find no pasture. They stumble away exhausted before the hunter. Zion, during the days of her affliction and homelessness, Jerusalem remembers all her precious belongings that were hers in days of old. When, when her people fell into the adversary's hand, she had no, no one to help. The adversaries looked at her, laughing over her downfall. Chet, Jerusalem has sinned grievously. Therefore, she has become an object of scorn. Notice that the author here blames the sin, blames the people, basically, for the sin. It doesn't blame God, okay? No blame on God for him uh, executing his wrath upon his people and, and upon Jerusalem for the sin, although mourning over the destruction of Jerusalem. It is Jerusalem or the people of Jerusalem that is to blame here. All who honored her now despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns away. Tet, her uncleanness stains her skirts. She never considered her end. That's a big one right there. When you sin, when you sin, when you're caught up in a life of sin, you got to consider your end. Consider the end, not just the present, not just living for the, you know, for the pleasure of the moment, but rather, rather looking to the end, long term. Her downfall was astonishing. There was no one to comfort her. Lord, look on my affliction, for the enemy boasts. Yod, the adversary has seized all her precious belongings. She has even seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those you had forbidden to enter your assembly. Kaf, all her people groan while they search for bread. They have traded their precious belongings for food in order to stay alive. Lord, look and see how I have become despised. Lamed, is there nothing, excuse me, is this nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look and see. Is there any pain like mine, which was dealt out to me, which the Lord made me suffer on the day of his burning anger? Mem, he sent fire from on high into my bones. He made it descend. He spread a net for my feet and turned me back. He made me desolate, sick all day long. Noon, my transgressions have been formed into a yoke. So you, sit, you know, sin is, let me see what it says here in the footnotes. The yoke of my transgressions is bound. The Hebrew is obscure there. My transgressions have, have been formed into a yoke fashioned, or excuse me, fas fastened together by his hand. They have been placed on my neck, and the Lord has broken my strength. He has handed me over to those I cannot withstand. Samech, the Lord has rejected all the mighty men with me. He has summoned an army against me to crush my young warriors. The Lord has trampled virgin daughter Judah like grapes in a winepress. Ayin, I weep because of these things. My eyes flow with tears. For there is no one nearby to comfort me, no one to keep me alive. My children are desolate because the enemy has prevailed. Pay, Zion stretches out her hands. There is no one to comfort her. The Lord has issued a decree against Jacob that his neighbors should be his adversaries. Jerusalem has become something impure among them. Sadi, the Lord is just, for I have rebelled against his command. Listen, all you people, look at my pain. 
My young women and young men have gone into captivity. Kof, I called to my lovers, but they betrayed me. My priests and elders perished in the city while searching for food. They, they keep themselves alive. Resh, Lord, see how I am in distress. I am churning within. My heart is broken, for I have been rebellious. Outside, the sword takes the children. Inside, there is death. Sheen, people have heard me groaning. There's no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my misfortune. They are glad that you have caused it. Bring on the day you have announced, so that they may come like me. Tau, or Tav. Let all their wickedness come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my transgressions. For my groans are many and I am sick at heart. Lamentations chapter 2. And again, we have the Hebrew alphabet here. Aleph, verse 1. How the Lord has overshadowed daughter Zion or Sion with his anger. He has thrown down Israel's glory from heaven to earth. Again, this, this is obviously not talking, like this is not literal. I mean, fig figuratively speaking, he did not acknowledge his footstool in the day of his anger. Bait. Without compassion, the Lord has swallowed up all the dwellings of Jacob. In his wrath, he has demolished the fortified cities of daughter Judah. He brought them to the ground and defiled the kingdom and its leaders. Gimel. He has cut off every horn of Israel. In the footnotes, horn. He has cut off every horn of Israel in his burning anger and withdrawn his right hand in the presence of the enemy. He has blazed against Jacob like a flaming fire that consumes everything. Dalit. He has strung his bow like an enemy. His right hand is positioned like an adversary. He has killed everyone who, who was the delight to the eye, pouring out his wrath like fire on the tent of daughter Zion. Hey, the Lord is like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He swallowed up all its palaces and destroyed its fortified cities. He has, he has multiplied mourning and lamentation within daughter Judah. Wow. He has wrecked his temple as if it were merely a snack, excuse me, as if it were merely a shack in the field, destroying his place of meeting. The Lord has abolished appointed festivals and Sabbaths in Zion. He has despised king and priest in his fierce anger. Zion, the Lord has rejected his altar, repudiated his sanctuary. He has, handle, he has handed the walls of her palaces over to the enemy. They have raised up a shout in the house of the Lord as on the day of, of an appointed festival. Chet, the Lord determined to destroy the wall of daughter Zion. He stretched out a measuring line and did not restrain himself from destroying. He made the ramparts and walls grieve. Together they waste away. Tet, Zion's gates have fallen to the ground. He has destroyed and shattered the bars of, on her gates. Her king and her leaders live among the nations. Instruction is no more. And even her prophets receive no vision from the Lord. Yod, the elders of Zion sit on the ground in silence. They have thrown dust on their heads and put on sackcloth. The young women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. Cough. My eyes are worn, worn out from weeping. I am churning within. My heart is poured out in grief because of the destruction of my dear people, because infants and nursing babies faint in the streets of the city. Lamed. They cry to their mothers, Where is the grain and wine? As they faint like the wounded in the streets of the city as their life pours out in the arms of their mothers. Mem, what can I say on your behalf? What can I compare you to, daughter Jerusalem? What can I liken you to, so that I may console you, virgin daughter Zion? For your ruin is as vast as the sea. Who can heal you? Noon, your prophets saw visions for you. 
and were empty and deceptive. They did not reveal your iniquity and so restore your future, your fortunes. They saw pronouncements for you that were empty and misleading. Notice, let me just let me just pause here for a second. This is Lamentations 2.14. Many of you know that the primary purpose of a prophet is not to foretell the future. The primary purpose of a true prophet is to define, identify, call out, and eradicate sin. That's the primary purpose. Call people to turn away from their from sin, turn back to God, be holy as he is holy. That's the primary purpose. This is why we see here in Lamentations chapter 2, verse 14, your prophets saw visions for you that were empty and deceptive. They did not reveal your iniquity and so restore your fortune. See, that is the primary purpose of a prophet, to reveal iniquity and restore your fortunes. Say, how could revealing iniquity restore fortunes? Well, when iniquity is revealed, the idea is the people turn from that iniquity. In other words, stop sinning and turn to God and live right in his eyes, do what's right in his eyes, and thus he will restore your fortune. It says here, they, the false prophets basically, saw pronouncements for you that were empty and misleading. Samech, all who pass by scornfully clap their hands at you. They hiss and shake their heads at daughter Jerusalem. Is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty, the joy of the whole earth? Hey, all your enemies open their mouths against you. They hiss and gnash their teeth, saying, we have swallowed her up. This is the day we have waited for. We have lived to see it. Ayin, the Lord has done what he, what he planned. He has accomplished his decree, which he ordained in, in days of old. He has demolished without compassion, letting the enemy gloat over you and exalting the horn of your adversaries. Sadi, the hearts of the people cry out, uh, cry out to the Lord. Wall of daughter Zion, let your, let, Let your tears run down like a river day and night. Give yourself no relief and your eyes no rest. Kof, arise, cry out in the night. From the first watch of the night, pour out your heart like water before the, the Lord's presence. Lift up your hands to him for the lives of your children who are fainting from hunger at the head of every street. Resh, Lord, look and consider to whom you have done this. Should women eat their own children, the the infants they have nurtured? Should priests and prophets be killed in the Lord's sanctuary? Sheen, both young and old are lying on the ground in the streets. Young women and young men have fallen by the sword. You have killed them in the day of your anger, slaughtering without compassion. Tau, or Tav, you summon those who terrorize me on every side, as if for an appointed festival day. On the day of the Lord's anger, no one escaped or lived. My enemy has destroyed those I nurtured and reared. Lamentations chapter 3, Aleph. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. He has driven me away and forced me to walk in darkness instead of light. Yes, he repeatedly turns his head, excuse me, turns his hand against me all day long. Bet. He has worn away my flesh and skin. He has broken my bones. He has laid laid siege against me, encircling me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have been dead for ages. Gimel. He has walled me in so I cannot get out. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I cry out and plead for help, he blocks out my prayer. He has walled my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Dalit, he is a bear waiting in ambush, a lion in hiding. He forced forced me off by way and tore me to pieces. He left me desolate. He strung his bow and set me as the target for his arrow. Hey, he pierced my kidneys with shafts of his quiver. I am a laughingstock to all my people, mocked by their songs all day long. 
He filled me with bitterness, satiated me with wormwood. Wormwood here being bitter, very, very bitter. Um, and some, some people even believe it was poison. Wow, or vav. He ground my teeth with gravel and made me cower in the dust. I have been deprived of, of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. Then I thought my future is lost, as well as my hope from, from the Lord. Sain, remember my action and my ho- homelessness, the wormwood and the poison. I continually remember them and have become depressed. Yet I call, to the, I call this to mind, and therefore I have no hope. Chet, because the Lord's faithful love, because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say, Lord, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. Tet. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is still young. Yod. Let him sit alone and be silent, for, the, for God has disciplined him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. Perhaps there is still hope. Let him offer his cheek to, to the one who would strike him. Let him be filled with disgrace. Kaf. For the Lord will not reject us forever. Even if he causes suffering, he will, he will show compassion according to the abundance of his faithful love. For he does not enjoy bringing affliction or suffering on mankind. Lamed. Crushing all the prisoners of the land beneath one's feet, denying justice to a man in the presence of the Most High, or subverting a person in his lawsuit, the Lord does not approve of these things. Mem. Who is there who speaks and it happens unless the Lord has ordained it? Do not both adversity and good come from the mouth of the Most High? Why should any living person complain, any man, because of the punishment for his sins? Noon, let's examine and probe our ways and turn back to the Lord. Let's lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven. We have sinned and rebelled. You have not for- forgiven. Samech. You have covered yourself in anger and pursued us. You have killed without compassion. You have covered yourself with the clouds so that no prayer can get through. You have made us disgusting filth among the peoples. Pay. All our enemies open their mouths against us. We have experienced panic and pitfall, devastation and destruction. My eyes flow with streams of tears because of the destruction of my dear people. Ain, my eyes overflow unceasingly without end until the Lord looks down from heaven and sees. My eyes bring me grief because of the fate of all the women in my city. Sadi, for no reason, my enemies hunted me like a... They smothered my life in a pit. They threw stones on me. Water flooded over my head and I thought, I'm going to die. Kof. I called on your name, Lord. From the depths of the pit, you heard my plea. Do not ignore my cry for relief. You came near whenever I called you. You said, do not be afraid. Rish, you championed my cause, Lord. You redeemed my life. Lord, you saw the wrong done to me. Judge my case. You saw all their vengefulness, all their plots against me. Sin or Shin. Lord, you heard their insults, all their plots against me. The slander and murmuring of my opponents attack me all day long. When they sit and they arise, look, I am mocked by their songs. Tau or Tav. You will pay them back what they deserve, Lord, according to the work of their hands. You will give them a heart filled with anguish. May your curse be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them under your heavens. 
Lamentations chapter 4. After this, we'll read one more chapter. That's basically the end of Lamentations, and I'll get to your questions. I will answer your questions. As I said, I see there's a really good question there um, on Podbean. I'll get to that. Um, Lamentations chapter 4. Again, going through the Hebrew alphabet, starting with Aleph, verse 1. How the gold has become tarnished. The fine gold becomes dull. The stones of the temple lie scattered at the head of every street. Bait. Zion's precious children, once worth their weight in pure gold, how they are regarded as clay jars, the work of a potter's hands. Gimel. Even jackals offer their their breasts to nurse their young. But my dear people have become cruel like ostriches in the wilderness. Dalit, the nursing baby's tongue, clings to the roof of his mouth from thirst. Infants beg for food, but no one gives them any. Hey, those who use to eat delicacy, Delicacies are destitute in the streets. Those who were reared in purple garments huddle in trash heaps. Wow, or vav. The punishment of my dear people is greater than that of Sodom, which was overthrown in an instant without a hand laid on it. Zain, her dignitaries were brighter than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more ruddy than coral. Their Appearance like lapis lazuli. Hate. Now they appear darker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin has shriveled on their bones. It has become dry like wood. Tet. Those slain by the sword are better off than those slain by hunger, who waste away, pierced with pain because of the fields lack because fields lack produce. Yod, the hands of the compassionate women have cooked their own children. They made their, they became their food during the destruction of my dear people. Kaf, the Lord has exhausted his wrath, poured out his burning anger. He has ignited a fire in Zion and it has consumed her foundations. Lamed, the kings of the earth and all the world's inhabitants did not believe that an enemy or adversary could enter Jerusalem's gates. Mem, yet it happened because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed the blood of the righteous within her. Noon, blind, they stumbled in the streets, defiled by this blood, so that no one dared to touch their garments. Samach, stay away, unclean. People shouted at them, Away! Away! Don't touch us! So they wandered aimlessly. It was, it was said among the nations, they can stay here no longer. Pay, the Lord himself has scattered them. He no longer watches over them. The priests are not respected. The elders find no favor. Ayin. All the while our eyes were failing as we looked in vain for help, we watched from our towers as, excuse me, for a nation that would not save us. Sadi, our steps were closely followed so that we could not walk in, in our streets. Our end approached, our time ran out, our end had come. Kof, those who chased us were swifter than eagles in the sky. They relentlessly pursued us over the mountains and ambushed us in the wilderness. Resh, the Lord's anointed, the breath of our life, was captured in their traps. We had said about him, quote, we will live under his protection un- among the nations, unquote. Sin, or Sheen. So rejoice and be glad, daughter Edom, uh, you resident of the land of Uz. Yet the cup will pass to you as well. You will get drunk and expose yourself. Tau, or Tav. Daughter Zion, your punishment is complete. He will not lengthen your exile, but he will punish your iniquity, daughter Edom, and will expose your sins. The last chapter, 
Lamentations chapter 5. If you notice, there's no more uh, Hebrew alphabet here. Rather, it's a prayer for restoration. Verse 1, Lord, remember what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our houses to foreigners. We have become orphans and fatherless. Fatherless, our mothers are widows. We must pay for the water we drink. Our wood comes at a price. We are closely pursued. We are tired and no one offers us rest. We made a treaty with Egypt and with Assyria to get enough food. Our ancestors sinned. They no longer exist, but we bear their punishment. Slaves rule over us. No one rescues us from them. We rescue our food at the risk of our own lives. Because of the sword in the wilderness, our skin is as hot as an oven from the ravages of hunger. Women have been raped in Zion, virgins in the cities of Judah. Princes have been hung up by their hands. Elders are shown no respect. Young men labor at millstones. Boys stumble under loads of wood. The elders have left this, the city gate. The young men, their music. Joy has left our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our heart is sick. Because of these, our eyes grow dim. Because of Mount Zion, which lies desolate and has jackals prowling in it. You, Lord, are enthroned forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why do you continually forget us, abandon us for our entire lives? Lord, bring us back to yourself so that we may return. Renew our days as in former days, unless you have completely rejected us and are intensely angry with us. And so that concludes our reading for tonight, our scripture reading for tonight. Uh, let's see what we have in the live chat for questions. The question is, what is it that I hear about the book of Thomas? Some unwritten quotes from Jesus Christ? Question, question, question. When you say book of Thomas, I, I assume you mean gospel of Thomas. And if that's the case, then yes, it probably is quotes from Jesus. Now, the, the Gospel of Thomas is considered to be the, the earliest of all the Gospels, from what I understand. The Gospel of Thomas was written before any of the other Gospels. So if that makes any, if timing means anything to you, for example, if a biography that's written closer to the person's life is probably more accurate than a biography that, that was written like generation two generations after then the gospel of thomas would or at least could potentially be more accurate than originally thought a lot of people say i've i've read that a lot of people say that the book of thomas is very gnostic and that's the reason why they reject it i went through the book of thomas many times over i haven't even counted how many times many times the Gospel of John, but even more, more so the Gospel of John, more than the Gospel of John, is the letters of Paul. The letters of Paul are actually way more Gnostic than the book of Thomas, or the Gospel of Thomas, in my opinion. The letters of Paul have much have a much more of a Gnostic overtone than the Gospel of Thomas does. Thank you for asking that. Kingdom Concepts says the Greek copy of Lamentation says that Jeremiah lamented. Baruch may have wrote it. Yes. Yes, very yes, I do believe Baruch may have wrote it for sure. Absolutely. Thank you for bringing that out, Brother Pete. Uh, Jamie, what do you make of lunar Sabbath keepers? As far as lunar Sabbath keepers are concerned, at this point, I don't see enough evidence to buy it, you know, to buy that whole, the whole thing, the whole practice of lunar Sabbath keeping, unless there is some really good evidence. I mean, really, really good evidence that somebody down the line in the Jewish world was able to convince everybody to keep a different Sabbath. Unless we have strong, clear, and good evidence of that, of, of that happening, I wouldn't, I don't buy the lunar Sabbath uh, thing. Those are my thoughts on it, Jamie. Thank you for asking. 
Jamie, again, if Galatians 4 is correct, part of eternal salvation seems to be recognizing that you need the Messiah's sacrifice. Can you respond to this notion? Where do you draw the line? Like, where do you draw the line? Some people say it's at the age of accountability. Some people say that it's, you know, you know, so where do you draw the line? Is it like at conception when, you know, if, 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 uh, if, uh, child were to die in the womb, uh, they would not inherit, you know, salvation because they did not recognize the Messiah's sacrifice. I don't think that that's in, in line with the spirit of the Torah. Like Yeshua said himself, you know, there are those who are righteous. I don't come for them. You know, I, I don't come for them. I come for those who are sinners to call them to repentance. So, you know, I, I would say that there are people in the world that would would make it without uh, the whole ritual of accepting. It depends on who you're talking to, too, because some people say you got to come forward. Some people say you got to go forward in the service to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You got Some people say you have to do it publicly. Other people say you have to confess him as Lord. And if you don't confess him as Lord, you're not saved. I mean, there's so many different versions of how do you get saved. You have the extreme counter the extreme gracers that are like, hey, you don't need to do anything. You're just saved. Everybody's saved. <laughs> you know, like the extreme gracers. Like everybody's saved. You don't have to do anything. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, yeah, I, I don't, th I think that recognizing Messiah's sacrifice applies to, to certain people. I don't see it reply, applying to everybody in an absolute, universal, literal sense. And if it did, again, where does it start? Conception? I don't see it. Now, yeah, if you were to ask me this question, like, you know, 20 years ago, 25, 30 years ago, I'd be like 100%. Because I used to be like 100%. No, Jesus said you must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, it doesn't matter if you go to church. It doesn't matter if you go forward to say the sinner's prayer. It doesn't matter if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You must still have that born again experience. And if you don't have that born again experience, then you're not saved. I preached that for a long time, for many years. And it was always the toughest, the toughest questions when people would come to me and say, well, what about the little children in third world countries or in some lost tribe in the Amazon jungle, whatever, and they die, do they go to hell? Does God come, you know, do they lose their salvation? That was always a hard one. Are they saved or are they not? Are they, go are they going to have eternal life or not? At this point in time, I would say, as long as you're not an Esau, <laughs> as long as you're not an Esau, the answer would be yes. Absolutely yes. I believe that there were people that were righteous their entire life. Again, how could you preach? And I'm saying this as an ex-evangelical, strictly, like very conservative, evangelical, traditional kind of preacher as I was 25, 30 years ago. The question is, how could you go to someone like Zechariah and Elizabeth or Simeon in, in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2 and say, hey, you need, I know you're righteous, you've obeyed all the commandments, but you still need Jesus in order to be saved. At this point in time, I don't think so, because Jesus made it, I mean, he made it very clear himself, I don't come for the righteous. He could have said, I, I come for every single person alive and every every single one of you need me. And if you don't, if you don't accept me right now, if you don't see that I paid, I will pay your debt on, on the cross. If you don't see that, you're damned. You know, you won't you won't inherit eternal life. OK. And again, Galatians is just an absolute dumpster fire of theology. It's a, it's horrific. Right from the first, there are a few gold nuggets in there. Don't get me wrong. There are a few. There are a few good things in there. You know, Galatians two twenty, Galatians five twenty four. A few good, a few good things. Galatians five nineteen through twenty one. Galatians five twenty two, twenty three. I think it's twenty four. So there are some good, good things in Galatians, but I mean, you have to dig through the rest of it to get to it. There's a lot. <laughs> There's a lot. Lord willing, if we go through the, the book of Galatians again, uh, I've went through it once already on, on YouTube, completely every single word of the book of Galatians. And I did it with, with the notion that everything that Paul said was true, and I did my best to make it 
come off that way. You can watch the videos. It's still archived. Thank you for asking, Jamie. Jamie says, I hear you, Christopher. Thank you very much, Jamie. Yeah, see, a lot of people don't understand like where I come from. They think that I'm just some buddy just comes out of the woodwork, whatever. But I mean, I have, I really had a powerful, powerful, dynamic, uh, life-changing experience uh, in 1992. And shortly, uh, just about that, shortly after that time, I did get involved in mainstream, in a mainstream denomination, in in uh, actually a few different denominations. Uh, following that, in the, in the in the next, the following few years after that, and um, and I I was like I was out there preaching the gospel, just like how the the mainstream Christian narrative, like how I say today, and this is the reason why. I can speak to it so much because I have been there. I have preached it. I have encountered its weaknesses and, and I have tested it. I've preached to thousands of people, thousands of people in the, from early to mid 1990s. And Jamie, when Paul talks about if either circumcision or uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love, sometimes the context is talking about Gentiles versus Jews. Other times it's talking about the actual op- the actual surgery. I have to take that in context. But Lord willing, we'll get to that again. I'm not really looking forward to to go through Galatians again, but we will. I mean, I, I mean, I will. In a way, I am looking forward to it. Don't get me wrong, but it's just that Galatians is such a it's a dumpster fire of theology. It, it, it really is. So, but to go through it again later this year, a little bit later, uh, Lord willing, we'll do that. Fearfully confident. It's like you say, digging through Paul's letters is going through his mail. And it is, it is. It's uh, Paul did not write any of his letters for us to read. He didn't have us in mind. Uh, he didn't have it in mind to be put in a holy Bible. He didn't even know what a holy Bible is. Um, I believe that if we told him today, if you know, if we could t- talk to him today, that his letters are in this are in, are between the same in, in the same book as the Torah, he would probably be very very angry. He he would probably tear his clothes like the high priest, tear his robe, <laughs> tear what? It's a good point. I mean, the thing is with Paul's letters, we don't know the context either. I mean, we got a general gist of the context, but again, when it comes to Galatians, context can mean everything. And we don't know exactly what the context of those believers in Galatia really really was. What was Paul speaking to? Why did he say what he said? You know, so we don't know that. And so we're just kind of, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like sitting, it's like, it's, it's kind of like, Going, walking past a rest, a table at a restaurant and hearing one person speak to another and only hearing that one person, only hearing a little bit of what that one person said to the other and making a judgment on it and building a theology around it. That's basically what we're doing with Paul. We're only hearing a little bit of what he said to the, to the people in Galatia. We're not hearing any of their side. We're not seeing any of that context at all. We're just making judgments on very limited, limited information. Yeah, thank you for bringing that out there, Fearfully Confident. Fearfully Confident says, Christians have the worst cognitive dissonance to the point they ignore the very spoken word of God himself. It's true. They ignore the word of God to support their own faulty doctrine. And you know what they do? You know that I know you know this, Fearfully Confident. They justify they're ignoring God's word by saying, well, we're rightly dividing the word, rightly dividing. And that and that there is just so far taken out of context and it's so far distorted from the truth. It's not just taken out of context, but it is an actual distortion of what even Paul said to Timothy. So when, when Paul said to Timothy, you, you know, uh, you should rightly divide the word of truth, Blame it on the King James translators because it is a very, very poor translation of the original Greek. Uh, the, the original Greek word that Paul used there was uh, a word that means literally means cut straight. What Paul said in literal terms, Paul said to Timothy, cut straight the word of truth. 
hear a lot of this. It's just, it's horrific. It really is horrific. Thanks to the King James translators. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So this whole thing here, rightly dividing, those two words are translated from one, one Greek word. I'll show you. Rightly dividing is translated from one Greek word, orthomateo. Orthomateo. This means simply to cut straight. Rightly divide the word of truth means cut straight the word of truth. What I believe this to mean is synonymous to our figure of speech today, you know, shoot straight. Shoot straight. So what Paul was telling Timothy was, hey, you know what? Study to show yourself approved unto God, uh, a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed. Sh shoot straight, Timothy, man. Shoot straight. Tell the truth. Orthomateo the word of truth. Shoot straight, tell the truth. Shoot from the hip. All of these different uh, figures of speech, all these different sayings, and it all means the same thing. Just shoot straight. Now we say shoot straight. Back in those days, I believe it was like orthomateo, cut straight. Okay, cut straight the, the word of truth. I don't believe it has anything to do with taking a machete to the Bible. I don't think it has anything to do with literally cutting and dividing the word of God. No. I mean, that's insane. It's just absolutely insane. Oh, it's like God, you know, can you imagine God like, here, here's my, here's my eternal word of God. This is the eternal word of God. I mean, you need to, this is more precious than gold. You know, you are to treasure this above all other treasures on earth. You know, talk about it when you lie down. Think about it when you get up. You know, teach it to your children. Oh, by the way, the day is coming. In about five months, you can you can just take a sword to it and chop it up. You've got to be kidding me. No. Orthomateo does not mean to cut, to divide. It means just basically shoot straight, shoot from the hip, tell the truth. That's all, that's all Paul talked, uh, said, really. And I think that's part of their cognitive dissonance. They're fearfully confident. In their own minds, they divide. They cut out the real eternal word of God. Laura says, what about going through Revelations? Yeah, we actually have went through Revelations uh, last, what was it, last fall? Yeah, I think it was last fall. We went through the whole entire book of Revelations, every single word of it. It's still up on, on YouTube to watch the replays. And we'll do it again. We'll do it again this, this year as well. Lord willing, we'll go through the whole thing again. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. Jamie says, uh, look what else Paul said in early writing compared uh, 1 Corinthians 7.19. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Yeah, it's typical of Paul. It's typical. Hey, you know what we'll do? I, I keep on saying this uh, about, the, about the Tanakh, but maybe we'll do this in and when we go through the letters of Paul, Lord willing, we do this again a little bit later on, a couple months. We'll go through the letters of Paul again, and we'll take a tally on how many times he seemingly contradicts himself. You know, like keeping the commandments of God is what counts. But Paul, the entire church more or less, believes that you come against the commandments of God, saying that we don't have to. You know what I mean? So I, I know there are arguments. There's lots of arguments about, well, Paul didn't really mean that. He didn't, didn't really mean that. Lots of times, like, I am the least of all the apostles, not even worthy to be called an apostle. And then just a few chapters after, a, two cha a few chapters later, and then a few chapters before that, he's like, I am the not even in the least inferior to the super apostles. Like, I'm the best. Um, Paul, <laughs> you see this over and over and over again in his letters. It's like, again, um, we can spend all night talking about this, but we'll save that for when we go through his letters for sure. Yeah, Jamie says that's so true. We don't know what he was for sure what he was responding to. Yeah, and that could make all the difference, right? It could really make all the difference for sure. Fearfully confident, uh, does Deuteronomy 24, 16 negate the doctrine of original sin? The fathers shall not be put to death for their children. Every man should be put to death for his own sin. Yeah. Original sin is a horrible thing. It's, I mean, it's a horrible doctrine. 
I don't believe it's according to the word of God at all. Ezekiel 18 is as well. You know, most of that chapter goes goes against the original sin. Fearfully confident says, as I understand it, uh, when King James Bible was created, the Jews had had been expelled from England. I I, I don't know uh, all the details of the his that part of history in 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 that regard, but you know. Um, all I know is that there's a lot of different uh, parts of the King James that is definitely not. It's either poorly translated or it's it's really irre- irrelevant now because it's old English and it mean the word means something different now. Fearfully confident, rightly divide the word is what dispensationalism created their entire doctrine on. Yeah, creating an entire doctrine on one verse that is. Poor, that is worse than poorly translated. And even worse than that, one verse that is poorly, that is translated in error. And then, if that's not bad enough, to interpret that wrong as well. It's like error upon error on one verse. And this is what I say you know, we have to be very careful not never to build a doctrine on just one verse here, one verse there, and all that kind of thing. We should ask ourselves the question, as we're reading through the scriptures, we should ask ourselves the question, what is the common theme here in every book? If dispensationalism, by the way, dispensationalism is the is a horrible false doctrine, un, without any doubt, it's a horrible false doctrine, just like the rightly dividing thing is. Um, if it is if 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 such a doctrine is so important it should be in every book of the bible we know that again identifying uh and um calling out sin and calling people to forsake their sins to turn away from sin and turn to god to repent that is in the majority of all of the books of the bible that that message is in almost every book of the Bible. Not dispensationalism or rightly dividing the word. So again, we have to be very careful about any kind of doctrine that is built upon this kind of practice. Or we'll take one verse here, we'll 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 make a huge doctrine out of one verse. But if God wanted it, if, if it was that important, if it was that vital, then God would have had that doctrine in every book of the of scripture not just one book you know with one verse but you know on the other hand we have the doctrine of repentance meaning turning from sin turning back to god that is in almost every book because that is actually the 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 most important doctrine thank you uh fearfully confident going nowhere do you believe uh, do you think angels and demons have physical appearances? Appearances, um, not usually, but I think that they have the ability to. Sometimes, for some reason, God does grant them that. Uh, you know, the, like the uh, fallen angels in the Book of Enoch. We have, uh, you know, uh, tying into Genesis chapter six, we have um, such things as Satan appearing to. Um, in the book of Jasher, we have Satan appearing in very various physical forms to Abraham along the way before, you know, as he's, as he goes to sacrifice Isaac. Um, yeah, it, you know, materialization like that for some reason at some times can happen. I do believe typically speaking as a general rule of thumb, no, they don't have physical appearances, but it can, it, it is possible. Thank you, Going Nowhere. Very good question. Another question from Going Nowhere. Do you think the Ark of the Covenant is still on earth or is it in heaven as described in Revelation eleven nineteen? I do think it's still on earth. I think that such the most important relic. I mean, we have many relics that are still on earth, right? We have, uh, you know, um, you would like, for example, the, uh, the, the, 
the um, the seamless robe of of, of Christ or the seamless robe of Jesus is still on earth, at least reportedly and believed to be so. We have a few different places where they claim to have the spear that went through his side. We have a few different places that claim to have the the, the head of John the Baptist still. Uh, we have a, we have another relic that claims to be the arm of John the Baptist. Another one has the tooth of John the Baptist. Um, lots of relics, right? The Holy Grail. We got the Shroud of Turin. Lots of relics like this. All kinds of them. And I know there are people who say that's not that's not real. That's not real. Whatever. But I do believe there are relics that still uh, exist on Earth. And if there would be any relic that would be kept and kept safe, it would certainly been it would have been the Ark, being the most precious, the most important um, item, you know, uh, thing on Earth. The, you know, basically the earthly seat of God Almighty. Um, I don't think that would be lost. I don't think that uh, you know. It would be destroyed. I think that it would be saved and kept safe somewhere. I do believe that the account of the story of the Ark of the Covenant as given to us, uh, the Ethiopian account, is much more believable, much more feasible and plausible than any other account. I've heard lots of them, lots of them. I did a study on it. Lots of it. I actually wrote an article on that. Um, if anybody has the Ark, I think that it's probably the Ethiopians would have it. I don't believe it's... There is an Ark of God that's in heaven, as described in Revelation chapter 11, verse 19. Just like there is a tabernacle in heaven, there's all of the furnishings of the tabernacle in heaven. In fact, when Moses... um, you know, oversaw and, you know, when he made basically the tabernacle and all of its furnishings, including the ark, he was, he was, uh, commanded to do it as, as he saw in heaven. Uh, you know, as, you know, he was shown basically a vision or he was, as it says in the legends of the Jews, he was actually taken up into heaven in spiritually speaking, at least, and shown the tabernacle in heaven. And so his job was to create a replica or a, um, you know, to clone it, basically, to copy it uh, on earth here, as it is in heaven, so let it be on earth. Uh, so that was, I do believe that the tabernacle, there were two tabernacles in Moses' day. There was the one in heaven and the one on earth that he created that was a clone of the one in heaven, a copy of the one in heaven, a replica. Same with the Ark of the Covenant. I do believe there's an Ark of the Covenant in heaven, yes, but I also believe there's one on earth. There's the earthly replica of the heavenly Ark. Uh, so, yeah, definitely I think it's still on earth uh, going nowhere. Thank you for asking. Very good question as always. Laura says, that's right, Christopher. If you find any confirmations of something in the word, it is doctrine. Yeah, yeah, it, that's the thing. I mean, we need to ask ourselves, a, we need to ask ourselves, you know, especially especially doctrines that are made like super, like a lot of people make, you know, a big deal of, you know, like dispensationalism is one example. You know, um, you know the rapture or something like that. Uh, one example of a doctrine that some people make a lot of a big deal about. So, the, if it's a big deal, it should be in almost every book of scripture. And if it's not in almost every, if you have to pick a one verse here and a one verse there, and you know, string them all together, and, and then that's it's bad practice. It's bad practice. Because if it's so important, God would have confirmed it in every generation. Every generation would have heard it. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's very it's a very good uh, thing to keep in mind for sure. Fearfully confident. Does the Talmud get a bad rap? Are there two Talmuds, Babylonian and Jerusalem? Understanding a lot. I understand a lot of Gamaliel is in the Talmud. The Talmud really only gets a bad rap from the Christian world. Um, I would I would look at the Talmud just as I would look at you know any other you know to put it to the test uh, using the Tanakh. Uh, I think there's a lot of good a lot of good information in there, a lot of good stuff that needs to be studied in there for sure. 
and not to say that every single word of it again is 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 perfect but i think there's a lot of good stuff in there stuff that's worth studying uh, as far as two Talmuds, yeah, it depends on how you look at it. Because I mean, some people would say, you know, the Talmud's like one big, one big category of, you know, of Jewish writings. Um, but yeah, there is the Bob, that, the Babylonian Talmud, and there is uh, there is the Jerusalem Talmud as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, fearfully confident. Okay, I. See, as far as I know, I got to every question, at least every question that I can see here. Um, so, yeah, that that will wrap it up for tonight. And so, tomorrow, uh, Lord willing, going nowhere says Christopher. Have you ever read the Didache? Yes, um, more than once, I believe it is. And you'll find the archives on my YouTube channel. I do have. I I speak of the Didache. I'll go through the entire Didache. Um, I, I actually, I can't remember how many times I went through the Didache on online, uh, in videos, but yes, I have. Fearfully Confident says, thank you again, Christopher, for your ministry. Thank you, uh, Fearfully Confident. Uh, thank you for your questions and your fellowship and, and, uh, your support. I, I appreciate you, brother. Billy says, Thanks for cutting straight with us. See y'all tomorrow. God bless. Thank you, Billy. Uh, yeah, that's what we want to do, right? We want to cut straight. We want to shoot straight, right? Uh, so yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So really good. Okay, guys. So uh, for those of you who are new, for those of you who are new, uh, we do this every single day. By the grace of God, we go live uh, seven days a week. Um, six of those seven days, we go live uh, at 7 p.m. Eastern, at Sunday through Friday, 7 p.m. Eastern, and we go live every Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern. So, uh, so yeah, so make sure you're subscribed, you're following, and have those notifications on so that when we do go live, you get the notifications, and uh, and you can join us, and we can have a great time of fellowship and discussion as always. All right, guys, I appreciate you guys as always. Uh, blessings multiplied to you and um, uh, blessings multiply. Excuse me, I'm just kind of distracted here a little bit, but blessings multiplied to you guys. And uh, as always, I appreciate you guys. You guys are world changers. Going nowhere asks, says, I guess shalom can either mean hello or goodbye. Yes, yeah, it, it can mean either one. It's it's basically a proclamation of blessing. It's one of the greatest blessings. Shalom, peace on every, you know, every area of your life in every way. Laura says, uh, I'm sorry I missed yesterday. I thought it was at six. Uh, sorry, 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 Laura. Um, maybe next uh, next Saturday. 2 p.m. Eastern. All right. So yeah. Tammy says, have a great night all. Thanks, Tammy. And you and yours as well. Have a great and blessed night. And Laura says, good night, everyone. Shalom. Good night to you as well. As always, I pray that the Lord would bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, lift up his countenance upon you, and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. See you tomorrow night.